Hey everyone, and welcome to the School Improve Podcast. I am your host, Alicia Schiltz. Thanks for joining me today. So today, um, we have a treat. Uh, We have the MTSS coordinator in Chatham County Schools in North Carolina, who uh, met with us and a group of new coordinators um, to share her journey on the development of a standard treatment intervention protocol. Um, and so we'll share that interview in just a little bit and have um, we can hear from her about um, how she got intervention, an intervention um, standard treatment protocol in place within their district. So before we listen to the interview, I just wanted to take a little bit of time and unpack for those of you not familiar with the term standard treatment protocol, um, what that means and what that can look like within an MTSS and with intervention systems. And so here in North Carolina, within MT, within an MTSS, we really challenge district and school teams to begin implementing a system of interventions um, and making sure that those are well-defined, evidence-based, efficient, effective, and really readily available to students that need them. So really to in order to, in order to accomplish this, um, we really want schools and districts to focus on the development of a standard treatment protocol for intervention. So what does that mean? You know, while unique intervention is planned for each identified student, that like that's maybe how you're operating now every student identified at risk you make a plan for them Um, it could be different from one child to the next where a standard protocol for interventions are defined as interventions for which components are well specified where you're using a protocol uh, and have been shown to work generally for a large number of students so basically to give you an example or how, how we kind of visualize a standard treatment protocol is you have these general areas of need. So general areas of need being reading, um, behavior, math, those are kind of big, large, general areas of need. And then within those general areas of need, we identify more specific areas of need under each general category. So if you think about reading, the specific areas of need, um, we, you know, are very familiar with the five areas of reading. So um, fluency, comprehension, vocabulary, phonemic awareness. Um, and so those would be your more defined specific areas of need. And we've, we've defined those areas of need for math um, and also to start thinking about what are those specific areas of need for behavior as well. So once you've defined those specific areas of need, then you would really want to start thinking about what are evidence-based interventions that have been shown to be effective for a large number of students. So that really means getting into the research behind um, the interventions that you're looking at and seeing really what were the outcomes um, based on those studies. Because inevitably, what we're saying is that if you're selecting intervention that have been shown to work for a large number of students, that at that supplemental or tier two level of intervention where we would be really starting to implement this standard treatment protocol, that those interventions should um, impact outcomes for most of your students receiving supplemental support. Meaning that then there should be just a very few percentage of students that aren't responding 
to the intervention you have identified within your standard treatment protocol at that tier two or supplemental level that then may need more individualized support at an intensive or tier three level of support. So before we move forward, let's just take a more formal look at the definition of a standard treatment protocol. And so not to harp on it, but just so you know, you have a good understanding, it's really the use of the same empirically validated intervention for all students with similar academic or behavioral needs. And this really then helps to facilitate quality control. So it's you're not picking and choosing based on the student in front of you and they're, you know, we're basically applying the same treatment to a group of students who have similar needs. And then at the district level, that really helps you to understand, you know, or measure the effectiveness of intervention. It helps with professional development and coaching, where you have a limited number of interventions that you have to provide training on and support and fund and all of those good things. Um, it really helps minimize that, but also too, then it help, allows you to easily look at outcomes because a larger number of students are receiving the same intervention at a grade level, or maybe there's an intervention that can be implemented, you know, within a whole school, K through five or something like that. Um, but it allows you to look at that easier and say, is this the intervention for us? Does our data show that, that when we implement this intervention with fidelity, that the gaps that students are having are closing, or we may say, nope, this really isn't a good fit. We can try a new intervention, and then we're going to replace that within our standard treatment protocol. But if you have, you know, uh, say you have 20 district or 20 schools within your district, and each school is is using five different literacy interventions. Um, for you know a handful of students at a time it's really hard then to kind of track the impact of those interventions to measure it to really understand are we implementing with fidelity um, where if you limit that number um, from a quality control standpoint it makes it really easy to evaluate but then at the same time flip to looking at how that impacts classroom teachers so classroom teachers now have just a, they, they really know once they can identify the area of need a student is is struggling in they know what to do they 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 have the the protocol is already there to say okay well i have a student who has concerns or need in the area of fluency for literacy here's the intervention that i'm going to implement and it's already spelled out i know how many times a week i know what i'm going to use for progress monitoring um, where if that's not in place, then the next step for a teacher or, a or for a PLC would be, okay, well, what do we do? What do we implement? What do we have? And so then they're spending time finding those resources, figuring out how to implement the intervention if they've not been trained on it or the appropriate personnel to do that. And so um, I think it takes some off the plate of our classroom teachers who already have a ton already on their plate. Um, so that they're not having to come up with and plan and train themselves on intervention, but that's already occurred because we've defined it through a standard treatment protocol. And just a few highlights that I want to hit from the intervention be or from the interview before we move into listen to um, the MTSS coordinator in Chatham, Darlene Reap Klosti, is this idea of, of building a standard treatment protocol allows um, allows you to provide support to students who need it in an efficient, effective manner. Yet, building that standard treatment protocol doesn't happen overnight. Um, Darlene will hit on this where their building their protocol took upwards of two years um, and took lots of collaboration. It took 
working with the content um, experts to identify uh, what interventions would be best. It, it took working with other district leaders to find funding and all of those good things, as well as ensuring that schools had a structure or a system set up to um, provide that intervention. So making sure that schedules had time intervention blocks um, there was some just relationship building in order to get buy-in for maybe change in practice and, and really um, taking on the standard treatment protocol and wanting to implement it. And so um, just know that it it sounds it's it's a very effective practice, but knowing the development of a standard treatment protocol is going to take time and thought and effort and collaboration. Um, and so know that, that that's, it's a process. And so I will leave you with that. I hope you enjoy the interview with, with Darlene and uh, there's some other questions because this, um, this interview occurred within, um, a different, another support a meeting, um, with other folks who are available, who are there to ask questions. Um, and so I hope you enjoy. Thanks so much. Really excited to have Darlene Reek Costi here, um, who's the MTSS coordinator from Chatham County Schools. Um, and she's been there for quite a few years. So she's done some really amazing work with implementing a standard treatment protocol across her district. So I'm going to let Darlene kind of take it away. We wanted her just to tell her story um, of how she kind of got, got other folks in the district on board as well. Thank you, Amy. So um, Chatham County is um, right in the middle of the state. We're surrounded by Wake County, um, Orange County, and then to the south we have Lee County. Um, so we're right in the middle. We have about a little over 9,000 students and we have 19 schools. So our schools vary. Um, Tremendously, because we have some schools that are really close to the Chapel Hill area, and we have an elementary school like that has 800 students in it. And then we have um, a rural side of the county where we have um, K-8 schools, where we're talking about K-8s that have 150 kids sitting in them. Um, so a lot of singleton teachers, we have five of those K-8 schools that are really small. And then we also have an area in Siler City where we have a lot of second language learners. So we have a pretty like diverse community. Um, and so you can imagine coming up with a standard treatment protocol. Um, like someone was asking, did you do this at the school level or the district level? Um, that was a part of our journey. And this definitely took us a couple of years. So I don't want anyone to think that this just happened overnight. There's so many layers to this work. So the number one thing that I was thinking about that Sarah mentioned earlier is like starting with schedules, making sure everyone has an intervention time. So that was a district um, like decision that came down from the top. You have to have this in your schedule. So then schools started to think, okay, what does this look like and what are we going to do? So when I first started, it was really like, oh, the teachers just work with kids, right? oh, the teacher reads with the child. Well, I will try, had to dig deeper and to say, well, tell me what does that look like? Because you hear this all the time, right? So the, uh, simultaneously, as I was trying to kind of gather information to what people were doing, I had to kind of like come up with the need to have a protocol. 
right? Like the teachers had to realize that there was a need for this. So if the teachers didn't realize that this was going to benefit them, then it was like silly for me to create one from the district and push it down. So I met with school groups and um, I, the biggest thing that I had to convince them of is that when we are one, when we're looking at data, we had to train them how to identify the skill, the needed skill. So it was a targeted skill that we were working on. And they would start seeing that like, oh, you have these common skills that kids are not succeeding with. Um, I also had to get them to understand that when we go back and we look at progress monitoring data to determine if the intervention was effective, if we do not have a clearly defined intervention, we can't really make changes, right? Like we can't evaluate something that's all over the place. So I think what alleviated, it kind of changed the, the culture of a lot of PLCs in my district because we were doing this work in the PLC level. So the teachers were starting to understand that if, it's, if a child wasn't successful before I came, it was the teachers felt like they were doing something wrong. And then they get really defensive, right? They're like, but this kid's really struggling, really, really. Like, you don't want to make them feel bad. So we changed the conversation to like, it's not the teacher, it's not you. What we need to think about is like, what curriculum and instruction are we providing the child? And then if we have that clearly defined and the child's not succeeding, then we can make necessary changes, whether that be intensify or whether that be make a referral to EC or whether that be the whole group's not being successful. And so we really need to dig into fidelity. So once I got teachers to understand the purpose and that really in order for us to really decide if kids are succeeding or not, we have to be able to evaluate the instruction and curriculum that's occurring. And that changed everything. Like teachers, like it has completely changed the culture of PLCs. Like I said, it's like amazing when teachers don't feel like it's them anymore. So once I kind of got that, then school started saying, okay, so what do we do? What do we do, Darlene? What do we do? Okay, this kid needs fluency. What do we do? And I kind of would work with them and I would kind of massage school teams and I would say, well, what do you have available? What are your teachers trained in? And they kind of started creating some on their own. And then after about a year of that, when they just realized that that was really hard, they asked me to create the protocol for them. <laughs> so I kind of, I knew that was gonna be the end result and that was my ultimate goal, but I had to get them to be the ones to ask for it. And now that we have it, we're able to perfect it year after year. So for example, um, we'll say, oh, we're finding that in second grade, where we have a dearth in this area. This is this is the scale that my kids are that most of the kids across the district are struggling in in second grade that we don't feel like we have a really good intervention for. So then I take teams from the schools, I line up different interventions for them to review and I get buy-in that way. So everything that we've added, so like this year we've really firmed up on the math protocol and the re and we've been doing that because I get the schools involved and we make a communal decision together as to what um, they would like the district protocol to be. So I really try to do it more from the ground up. I'm a teacher. I would have hated if someone was like, here, you have to follow this packet. And they gave me this where I had to go through all these charts and figure out what to do. So, um, so I did it from the ground up. And now all the schools know that they're district and they appreciate it because I also handle all the PD. 
right? So it's like if they have new teachers, then I arrange for there to be professional development and I make sure that the teachers can get trained in how to use those materials. And so um, it, I even got high schools turned on. So what's really interesting is that when I started with high schools, the principals, I went to the principals first and the principals love saying, no, no, my teachers don't want that. My teachers like, my teachers don't want a curriculum. No, no, they don't want that. They like to do what they want to do. And then I would talk to the teachers and they would say, wait a minute, you can buy us something that we can use? And I would say yes. And they're like, oh, well, can you buy it? And now I've got like we've got math interventions across high schools. And so they've completely bought into it. So once they realize it makes their jobs easier, then it's a lot easier to sell. And like I said, then me handling the professional development on the district end alleviates so much work that the schools have to do. So that's kind of like it in a nutshell. Does anyone have any questions? That was so amazing, Darlene. We gave you such a limited time and you answered every question that we gave you like in a beautiful package wrapped up with a book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any questions from anyone? And I do want to give a shout out to Spring Math. So that's one of the things that we started this year coming back from COVID and the schools are and the teachers are absolutely loving it. So I noticed that was on the protocol, but that was really exciting because that was a huge bit undertaking. But if the schools know that they're feeling that they're supported, I think it makes all the difference. Thank you so much. I had a, a question and just uh, wanted to confirm something. So it sounded like um, your transition to a standard treatment protocol didn't happen from like March until August kind of time frame. Is that correct? Like it? Yes. Time. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. It took really like closer to two years. Okay. And then I guess also I just want to see, I, I heard you speak a lot to um, feedback from some teachers and, and grade level teams. Were there other stakeholders that you consulted, worked with along the way that, you know, really helped make this possible? Um, well, my Title I and Federal Programs Director really helped um, because getting the funding for interventions, now with ESSER money, we really don't have that problem anymore. But it really was, I worked with our um, Education Foundation. We have an organization called Chatham Reads. I had to find the funding, right, to do all this. And so, um, and I'm not, I live under student services, so I'm not under curriculum and instruction. So even kind of going to those directors, I kind of had to beg, you know. Um, and then, of course, every director has their own idea of where they want to spend the money. So even though I would get a director to be like, oh, I have some money, and then they would be like, oh, no, you, you don't have that money anymore. Um, but I have to say that I'm pretty lucky because the district is it's a medium-sized district so it's not a huge district where i had to get in a ton of stakeholders but i did do reading reading specialists were a big part of this because they're the experts at the schools um but all the other departments kind of let me roll i did work with special ed also though the special ed department because we wanted to make sure that it kind of flowed into we were we were kind of meshing ec interventions with gen ed interventions but also so that ec had different interventions so if a child wasn't responding to the gen ed standard treatment that there would be other opportunities and other curriculum and programs that might help those kids 
right? Because we, for a while, like we were, we had EC and Gen Ed, our reading specialists were doing Hill Rap, and kids were not responding to Hill Rap, being identified as EC, and then EC is like, oh, we do Hill Rap, and it's like, well, we just did all this work to find out that that intervention wasn't working. So it's like that's a that's a whole different conversation, but part of the big picture. Thanks. All right. Thanks so much, Charlene.